0: I appreciate very much the invitation to be here tonight, and I look forward to uh, the lesson as we study together for a little bit, and I appreciate very much the opportunity that you've afforded me. I appreciate the Mayberries getting to spend some time with them and to uh, talk with them a little bit this evening and renew some acquaintances that we've had with them through the years, and I appreciate them very much and the fine meal that they prepared uh, for Sylvia and I this evening. Uh, we have the, uh, I'd be remiss not to say something. Uh, Jackie and Vivian Sexton are here tonight. I appreciate them coming. They drove all the way from Shebdiville over here, uh, tonight. And so I appreciate them. Appreciate them coming. And, uh, uh, as I said, I hope the lesson is of some benefit to you. I appreciate Greg and his good work that he's done here in this good church, and we pray that things will continue to go well for you. So if I want to get through, I better get started. So, uh, let me, uh, uh let's, let's begin as we, we, we study a little bit together now. Greg, there we go. I thought I was going to have to get you to help me there. I want us to look at an expression that we see in 1 Kings 14 and verses 9. And I want you to notice something. This is actually Jeroboam's wife as she goes to Ahijah. They have a son that's about to die. And so Jeroboam actually asked his wife to go to Ahijah the prophet and ask him concerning this son. He tells her, he said, I want you to disguise yourself and go to Ahijah and ask him whether the son will live or what's the future of the son. And so she actually does does that. And this is actually a conversation that Ahijah the prophet has with Jeroboam's wife. And he tells her to go back and tell this to Jeroboam. And this is where we find this particular expression. He said, but you have done more evil. Now this is what Ahijah says to Jeroboam's wife, and he says, now you go tell him this. This is what I want you to tell him. Say, but you have done more evil than all who are before me. For you have gone and made for yourself other gods and molded images to provoke me to anger and have cast me behind your back. Now I want you to look at that little expression You have cast me behind your back. And I want us to think a little bit about that and exactly what he what is meant by that and the reason why Ahijah says this and the reason that he says this to Jeroboam. And so I want us to pursue that as we study for a little bit together. You know, one of the things that we can see concerning Jeroboam is that we see that he had a great opportunity that he had a great opportunity to be faithful to the Lord and to serve the Lord, and yet he didn't take advantage of the opportunity that had been afforded him. But yet that opportunity was there. And then toward the end of the lesson, then we're going to make some application of these things to us and think a little bit about you and I and the great opportunities that we have. And But I want us to think a little bit about the opportunity that Jeroboam had. One of the things that we can see is that God was the one that had selected Jeroboam to become king. And so God chooses him. God chooses Jeroboam as the king to lead the ten uh, northern tribes. So God was the one that had selected him in 1 Kings 14, verses 7 and 8. You can see this is the context and the setting of what we read just a moment ago in verse 9. He said, go tell Jeroboam. So now this is what I want you to tell him. So I want you to say this to your husband. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, because I exalted you. God says, I exalted you. He said, I exalted you from among the people. And he said, I made you ruler over my people. This is my people. He said, my people Israel. And he said, I tore the kingdom away from the house of David. And he said, I gave it to you. Now, what are you going to do with it, Jeroboam? He said, I'm the one that gave it to you. So you can see that here's the person that had a great opportunity to serve God. God gave him that opportunity. God gave him that kingdom. God was the one that selected him to be king over them. He said, I tore it away from the house of David, and he said, I gave it to you. So there's the opportunity that he had, a wonderful opportunity to lead God's people. And yet we'll notice in just a little bit exactly what he did with it. But not only did God select him to be king, but we also see that the people likewise wanted Jeroboam to be their king also. Notice once again in 1 Kings 12, though, this time in verses 20. It said, "...now it came to pass when all of Israel heard that Jeroboam had come back." And it's kind of interesting that he goes back a little bit in history and he tells us, obviously, that Jeroboam had to flee. One of the things that he did was, the reason that he fled, he fled from Solomon. Solomon found out that God had selected him to be king. And so Solomon seeks to kill him, and he leaves. He flees, and he goes down to Egypt, and he stays there until Solomon dies. When Solomon dies, though, he comes back. He comes back, and once he comes back, and the people hear that he's back, it said so that they heard that Jeroboam had come back, and they sent for him and called him to the congregation and made him king over all of Israel. There was none who followed the house of David but the tribe of Judah only." So now look at this. Now here, God was the one that selected him to be king, but that's exactly who the people wanted. The people wanted him to be their king as well. So here you have a person that has a great opportunity, but yet he squanders the opportunity that had been presented himself by God to be king over his people. You know, one of the things too that we can see is that there was material prosperity also in the land. With well, material, great material prosperity, obviously under the the rule and the reign of Solomon, uh, God had really blessed blessed the entire nation before it actually divided. When it was still a united kingdom, before Rehoboam is eventually appointed king over the, uh, the uh, two southern tribes and Jeroboam over the ten northern tribes. But while it was still united, there was great prosperity in the land. For instance, in First Kings ten, look at verses twenty-two and twenty-three. He said, for the king had merchant ships, the king would be Solomon here. He said, had merchant ships at sea and with the fleet of Hiram. This would be the king of Tyre. He said, once every three years, the merchant ships came bringing gold and silver and ivory and apes and monkeys, and so King Solomon surpassed all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom. And so one of the things, obviously, that we can see here is, we can see the great material prosperity that was at the hands of, of Jeroboam. It was there because of Solomon and because of God blessing Solomon. God had blessed Solomon. He had blessed him with material prosperity and He had blessed him with wisdom as well. And that didn't just vanish overnight. It didn't go away. There was still material prosperity when Jeroboam becomes king over those ten northern tribes as well. And one of the things that we can see in 1 Kings 12 and verses 25, but it says, "...then Jeroboam built Shechem in the mountains of Ephraim and dwelt there." And also he went out there and built Penuel, which would be on the eastern side of the Jordan. But he builds, rebuilds, as most would contend. He rebuilt Shechem, and he fortified the city. And so there was a building campaign, even under the leadership of Jeroboam, just like it had been under the rule and reign of Solomon. Solomon had great wealth and great riches, and there was great prosperity in the land. So now look at all the opportunities that was afforded this man. God selected him to be king. The people wanted him to be king, and there was material prosperity in the land. But now what do you do with it? He squandered that, didn't he? Instead of being one that would please God, he was one that really wanted to please himself. And we'll see that as we get further into the lesson tonight. You know, he even had an opportunity to repent even after rebelling against God. You know, God gives us opportunities, doesn't he? He gives us opportunities even when we fail to make things right and so that we can be pleasing and acceptable in the sight of Almighty God. In 1 Kings 13, you remember God selects an individual. He's a prophet. The young prophet, he's nameless to us. We don't know what his name was. But he was sent to cry out against Jeroboam and the things that Jeroboam was doing. It said, And behold, a man of God went from Judah to Bethel by the word of the Lord, and Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. Then he cried out against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord, Behold, a child, Josiah by name, shall be born to the house of David, and on you he shall sacrifice the priests of high places who burn incense on you, and men's bones shall be burned on you. You know, that happened just exactly like God said. Josiah did become king, and he did, as it was said here, he would sacrifice the priest, the bones of the priest on those high places on the very altar that Jeroboam had built. But the reason that God had selected this man of God, and he sent him from Judah to Bethel, because it was there of what Jeroboam was doing. He was standing by the altar to burn incense upon him. He was the king, he was not a priest of Levi. And so what God was doing was, God sent this man of God to him so that he might repent and turn away from the sins that he was guilty of. And so that he might turn to God and so that he might lead God's people to him and to serve him and to be faithful and loyal to him. So here he has an opportunity. But does he listen to this man of God? No, he doesn't listen to him. We'll notice that a little bit later as well. But here was the opportunity. The opportunity was afforded him, and yet he didn't take advantage of that opportunity. So here you can see that here's an individual with a great opportunity to be faithful and loyal to God, and yet he squanders those opportunities, and he's unfaithful and not loyal at all. You realize that when there are opportunities, there's also responsibilities. And so here's great responsibilities that this man had, just like all of us. We have a lot of uh, opportunities, particularly in this country in which we live. And as a result of those opportunities that we have, then there's great responsibilities that we have as well. Think with me just a little bit of what, what God expected of him. Now, notice something that was said in 1 Kings 14, verses 7, 8, and 9. This, once again, we're going back and reading what uh, Ahijah says to Jeroboam's wife. So now you, you go tell Jeroboam this. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, because I exalted you from among the people and made you ruler over my people Israel and tore the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you, and yet you have not been as my servant David. You've not been like David. This is who I expected you to be like. I expected you to be a man like David was. David was that kind of person. David was the kind of man that was after God's own heart, a man after God's own heart. He was a man who was faithful. He was a man who was loyal to God. Now, it doesn't mean that David was without sin. You know, usually when you and I think of David, we think of the sin that he committed with Bathsheba. And certainly we think of that, and we should think of that. But yet, think about all the good things that David did in services to God. Think about what kind of king that he really was. And what kind of example that he set before God's people. When you read the Psalms, you have to be impressed with how holy and godly David was, and how David was so impressed with God, and how he was in all of the God that he loved and he served. He was a person that obeyed God. He a person that did what God told him to. He said, Who kept my commandments and who followed me, he said, with all his heart. Wasn't that what he expected of Jeroboam? Didn't he expect him to keep his commandments and to follow him with all of his heart? And yet he didn't do that. He didn't do that at all. His heart was not devoted to God. We'll notice in just a few minutes of who it was exactly that Jeroboam was wanting to please. He wanted to please himself. He didn't care about God. He didn't care about what God said. He didn't really care about God's people. If he had cared about God's people, he would have been faithful and loyal. But I'm going to tell you, he wasn't that. He wasn't that at all. He said, to do only what was right in my eyes. He said, but you have done more evil than all who were before you. You've done more evil than everybody before you. That's what kind of man Jeroboam was. But you said that's not what God expected was He expected him to love him and to serve him with all of his heart and to keep his commandments. And yet we see that he failed to do that. Notice this example of his failure. In the 23rd year of Joash, the son of Ah Ah, Ah, Ahaziah, king of Judah, Jehoahaz, the son of Jehu, became king over Israel and Samaria and reigned 17 years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord and followed the sins of who? Jeroboam. Now what kind of king was he? He was a wicked king, wasn't he? He was an ungodly man. He said he followed the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin. He made Israel sin. He did not depart from them. Now there's the kind of king. Now look at the kind of example that he set before his people. See, he had a great opportunity, but he had great responsibilities. And you can see the kind of example that he set before others. Have you ever gone through the Old Testament and noticed how many times that he was held up as an example of a person who failed God? Over and over and over and over again. A lot of those kings, the kings of Israel, no righteous kings, king, or was it 19 or 20 kings? There were none righteous in many times. It said, instead of following David, they followed Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. But you can see then the kind of person that he really was and the example that he set. He had great responsibilities But he fell fell God. Now, think of some of the great evils that he was guilty of and the things that he actually did. One of the things in the very beginning, we need to look at the motive behind why he did this evil and why he did many of these things that he did do. For instance, in 1 Kings 12, verses 26 and 27, he said, And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom may return to the house of David. If these people go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of his people will turn back to the Lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me and go back to Rehoboam, king of Judah. But now remember who it was that had selected him to be king? Who selected him? God did. The people wanted him to serve, but God was the one that selected him to be that king. Do you think that if he had been faithful and loyal to the Lord, do you think things would have been a lot better? They obviously would have been a lot better in the ten northern tribes. If he had been serving God, do you think that he would have tried to keep them from going up to Jerusalem to offer those annual sacrifices that they were to offer as the children of God? No, he wouldn't have done that, would he? But you can see the motive, at least from his perspective, This is the reason that he did it. He said, I don't want them to do that. He said, I'm afraid if they go up and if they go back to the city of Jerusalem, the hearts of the people will turn back and they'll go back to Rehoboam and they'll uh, serve under Rehoboam's leadership and they'll kill me. So there's the motive behind the reason he did a lot of these evil things. Because he was afraid of what would happen, and what would occur. But now, Think of some of those evil things that he did. His idolatry. In 1 Kings 12, beginning in verses 28 through verses 30, he said, Therefore, if the king asked it us. He said he made two caves of gold and said to the people, It is too much for you to go up to uh, Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, which brought you up from the land of Egypt. And he set one up in Bethel and the other he put in Dan. Now this thing became a sin, for the people went to worship before the one As far as Dan. Now you are just like me. You understand Bethel and Dan. Bethel would be in the southern extremity of those ten northern tribes. And Dan would be in the northern extremity. And he said, I set these up. It was a matter of convenience for them that he set them up. He said, I don't want you to go all the way up to Jerusalem. I'm going to do something that will be convenient for you. I'm going to set these gods up, these golden calves. I wonder where he got that ideal of those golden calves." Remember reading that earlier in the Book of Exodus? What was it that Aaron did? He did the same thing. I wonder where he got that idea. Do you think he got that idea in Egypt, where they they came out of? You know, that's the thing that the Egyptians worship. It would be those calves, and even the Canaanites. My understanding is that's one of the things that they worship as well. And so he said, "Here are your gods," and he said, "These are the gods that brought you out of the land of Egypt." Nothing could have been fathered from the truth. They didn't have anything with bringing the children of Israel out of Egypt. He was the God of heaven that had brought them out. But here you can see his great idolatry. Many believe that he wasn't wanting them to stop worshiping God, but they could approach God through these idols. And once again, absolutely not. Such is not pleasing, nor is it acceptable unto God. But you can see the idolatry that he was guilty of on this occasion. No wonder it said that he caused them to sin. The priests that he ordained said he made shrines on high places and made priests from every class of people who were not the sons of Levi. Now, the only persons that could serve as priests under the law of Moses were Levites. But now, who did he appoint priests? Well, just anybody that he wanted to. Anybody that he selected. He said he made them from every class of people. But yet that's not what the Lord said. In 1 Kings 13, verses 1, he said, And behold, a man from Judah went to Bethel by the word of the Lord, and Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. We read that just a moment ago. So now here he is. He's standing by the altar to burn incense. Now what is he? Now, he's a king. But now, what else is it? He's a priest, isn't he? Because he's the one that's burning incense. Who made him priest? He did. It's kind of interesting something that Adam Clark, in his commentary, says on this particular verse. He said, Jeroboam stood by the altar like gods, like priests. He made himself high priest. See, he wasn't just just a priest. But he was a high priest. He was the one that would select others that would serve in that capacity. He was a high priest, and he says, and he took of the lowest of the people and made them priests of the high places. They proved themselves to be fools by worshiping the calves. And so then you can see his idolatry. You can see the fact that he himself became a priest, and not just a priest. Adam Clark says he became a high priest, and he appointed others in the position of priest that were not of the tribe of Levi. And so you can see some of the great evils that he was guilty of. Then think about the feast that he appointed as well. It's kind of interesting of what's said in these two verses, in verses 32 and 33 of First Kings 12. It said, I want you to notice as we read this, look very carefully. It said, Jeroboam ordained a feast. Now whose feast was it? Was it God's? No, it was Jeroboam's. He's the one that ordained the feast. Now notice, on the 15th day of the 8th month, he said, like the feast that was in Judah, and offered sacrifices on the altar. Now notice, look, so he did at Bethel. He did at Bethel. Sacrificing to the calves that he had made. He made those. And at Bethel he installed the priest of the high places, which he had made. So he made offerings on the altar, which he made at Bethel on the 15th day of the month, in the month which he had devised in his own heart. And he ordained a feast for the children of Israel, and offered sacrifices on the altar, and burnt incense. Now who was it? You get the point? This is what he wanted. This is what he did. This is not what God wanted. It wasn't about God. It was about Jeroboam. It was all about what he wanted to do. And so you can see then the great evils that he committed. Of course, the Feast of the Tabernacles was to be on the 15th day of the 7th month, as you can read in Leviticus 23 and verses 34. His feast was similar. It was on the 15th day of the 8th month. But all these things were things that he himself had devised. And so then you can see some of the great evils that he was guilty of. We mentioned this just a moment ago, but notice also his failure to repent. He had an opportunity. Remember this nameless prophet goes and cries out against Jeroboam and the things, him burning incense on the altar. And then later, after all those things are recorded to us about what happened to the man of God, you remember he lost his life because he didn't listen to what God told him to do. God told him to go there and cry out against the altar. He told him not to eat or drink anything there and not come back the same way that he went. You remember that. Well, he did that up to a point. He understood that. He understood exactly what God said. He even stated that to Jeroboam. He said, no, I can't eat anything here. He said, I can't even go back the same way. He told the old prophet the same thing. So he understood that perfectly. But his problem was that he didn't do what God told him to do. And, of course, he lost his life as a result of that. But after all that happened, I want you to notice what was said in verses 33. He said, after this event, Jeroboam did not turn from his evil way, but again, again, even after... This man of God goes and cries out against the things that he was doing in the city, in the city of Bethel. He said he made priests from every class of people for the high places. Whoever wished, he consecrated him, and he became one of the priests of the high places as well. So here he fails to repent. So you can see then the great evil that he was guilty of. God wanted him to repent. God wanted him to change his ways, and yet he still would not listen and he still would not turn from his wicked and evil ways and the things that he was doing. And so you can see then another great evil that he was was guilty of. Now let's think a little bit about that expression that we read a little bit earlier. Now, cast me behind your back. Now this is what Ahijah tells Jeroboam's wife. You go back and tell Jeroboam this. Now this is what you've done. This is how you've treated me. This is what the prophet says. This is what the prophet says that God has said to him. He said, now I want you to go tell Jeroboam. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, let's think a little bit about that. Now, who did he put forth to the front? You know, we just read that just a moment ago. All the times that he said, he did, he won. He's the one that said those things. He put himself in front and said in his heart in verse 26 of chapter 12. It wasn't about God. It wasn't about serving God. It was about him. It says in verse twenty-eight that he sought advice from others. Now, who did he seek advice? Should he have sought it for God? From God? What about the prophet? Should he have listened to the prophet? Should he have asked the prophet? Should he listen to what the prophet, the man of God, said to him? That's who he should have listened to. That's who he should have turned to for advice. Instead, he turned to others. He listened to man instead of listening to God. He put idols ahead of God. He made two calves of gold instead of exalting God and saying, this is the God that you should worship. This is the God that led you out of, the, out of Egyptian bondage." But yet he, said, he set up those two calves and he put that idol ahead of God. It was all about his will. He had devised in verses 33, as we can see. In verses 33, we see that he refused to listen to the man of God. He did not turn. And he would not turn. He didn't listen to what the man of God had to say to him. Matthew Poole, in his commentary, said, "Thus cast me behind thy back. He's despised and disregarded and forsaken me and my commands and my worship. And as we do, the things which we cast behind our back. You know, we can be guilty of the same thing. Who is it that we want to please? Is it we want to please God? Do we really care what God says? Do we want to seek God with all of our heart? Or is it what I want to do? What I want, what pleases me? See, that was the problem with Jeroboam. Where's God? He wasn't to the forefront. He wasn't looking to God. No, everything that was righteous and good and holy and just, it was back here. The idols were out front. He was out front. He asked advice of man. Instead of listening to God, seeking God. Thou hast cast me behind your back. Where should God be with us. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. That's where God should be. But it wasn't that with Him. And we can see that in this. You know, one of the things, too, that we learn from this story is there was a great judgment against Jeroboam as well. He had a great opportunity, absolutely. He also had great responsibilities. And he failed miserably because we can see all the evil things that he did. And because of his failure, there was a great judgment that was rendered against him by, by God. You know, the reason that Jeroboam's wife came to Ahijah to begin with, Abijah, was the son. The son was quite sick. And so Jeroboam tells her to disguise herself and go to Ahijah the prophet and ask concerning the son. And so that's the reason that she goes to Ahijah the prophet in the very beginning. But now this is what Ahijah says to her. He said, Arise therefore and go to your own house. And when your feet enter the city, the child shall die. That's a pretty high price to pay him. The child shall die. It's hard for me to fathom and to imagine the way that I live and the way that I choose to live could affect my son and my grandchildren. But it can. I have to be careful on it. And so do you. See, this is part of the judgment that was against him. The child did indeed die. But also, we can see on the house of Jeroboam. 1 Kings 14, verses 10 and 11, he said, Therefore, behold, he said, I will bring disaster on the house of Jeroboam and will cut off from Jeroboam every male in Israel. Bond and free. I will take away the remnant of the house of Jeroboam as one takes away refuge until it is all gone. The dogs shall eat whoever belongs to Jeroboam and dies in the city, and the birds of the air shall eat whoever dies in the field, for the Lord has spoken. So now all of his descendants would be cut off. In 1 Kings 15 in verses 29, this is talking about Baasha, who was the king at this time, It says, and so it was that when he became king that he killed all the house of Jeroboam. He did not leave to Jeroboam anyone that breathed. He said, until he had destroyed him according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken by his servant Ahijah the Shalonite. Ahijah was the prophet. Ahijah was the one that was telling Jeroboam's wife these things. Now you go tell Jeroboam this. This is what's going to happen to you. There's the judgment that was rendered against Jeroboam in Jeroboam's house. His descendants were cut off, and they were destroyed because of the sins of Jeroboam. We mentioned this a little bit earlier. Think of how Jeroboam was remembered. Isaiah, he said, the son of Ahab became king over Israel in Samaria in the seventeenth year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah and reigned two years over Israel, he did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of his father and in the ways of his mother and in the ways of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel seen. That's the second time we read it. I gave you this one because I gave you one while ago. I told you, this is you several times in the Scripture. This is what he did. This is how he's remembered. When you leave this world, You leave behind your children, your grandchildren, how will they remember you? What will be said of you? Truthfully said. This is truthful concerning Jeroboam. You can see how he was remembered. Now we have just a few minutes. And I want us to conclude with some lessons for us. You know, all this means nothing, really, unless we can learn something from it unless we can make some application of these things. And I believe that there's some great lessons there for, for you and I, some great things that you and I can learn from this. And let me suggest just, just a few of those things in the last few minutes that we have. I'm not going to turn and read all these verses. I keep you here all night if I turn and read all of them. But I'm going to remind you of them. If you want this, I'll give you a copy of it. You can sit down in your privacy of your home you can look at it. You know, we have great opportunities, don't we? One is that we have a great opportunity, even tonight, to become a child of God. I understand that some have already obeyed the gospel this week. That's fantastic. But you're in this audience, and maybe you've never obeyed the gospel. You have an opportunity to obey the gospel even this very hour. Here was the Philippian jailer. You know, he was about to commit suicide. Paul and says, said, do yourself no harm. said, we're all here. They asked what he needed to do to be saved. He said, believe on the Lord. And then he goes on and expounds to them the word of God. And at the same hour of the night, he takes him and baptizes him in water, obviously, for remission of sins. And so here's a person that I dare say that when he went to work that that night, that he didn't think that he would ever be saved that night, but that's exactly what happens to this Philippian jailer. You have the same opportunity. You have an opportunity to become a child of God. You have an opportunity to grow. That's the reason that the Word of God is given to us. It's able to build us up in Acts 20 and verses 32. You know, none of us have to remain babies in Christ. All of us can grow. All of us can become stronger in the faith. We have an opportunity. You know, that's the reason why this church meets here. Obviously, it's to worship and serve God, but also to teach, to instruct, and to encourage, and strengthen and build up those who are children of God. Great opportunities that you have. Far too many people don't take advantage of the opportunities that are afforded. The third thing that we can see, and that is that we can resist temptation, and we're able to do that with God's help. He talks about the temptations that we're faced. He said they're common to all men. But God will not allow us to be tempted above that which we're able, but also with a temptation, He said He'll make way of escape. We don't have to commit sin. We certainly don't have to practice sin. God has given us a way and means that we can resist temptation and so that we can turn away from sin and we can love and serve God and be faithful to God. That's an opportunity that all of us have. He's given us armor so that we can find our battles. He tells us to have our waist girded with truth. In the first few verses, He tells us to put on the whole armor of God. That's our responsibility. That's our duty. It's there for us. But we have to make sure that we put it on. He tells us about the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation. He talks about the sword of the Spirit. And then he says we can tie all of that together with prayer as we pray to God. Great opportunities that are given us. But we're the ones that have to put the armor on. God supplies it, but we have to put it on. He gives us the strength to do anything that we need to do as far as his people. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, Paul said. In Philippians 4 in verses 13. And I can petition God. Pray without ceasing, he said. You know, that's something that's afforded every single one of us that we can go to God in prayer. And what a valuable tool that is to have someone, deity, that we can turn to and seek his help and guidance. We have brethren who love us and care for us. He tells us to love one another. Most of us, I know I can say this for for myself at least, most of us probably are closer to our spiritual family than we are our physical families. We have brethren that love us and care very deeply for us. Care for us. I know that's happened to me on numbers of occasions that brethren have been there and helped me. When my dad died in 1995, he died around Thanksgiving Day. We had Thanksgiving Day in the funeral home over in Chapel Hill. Some brethren from Hillview and Nashville brought us Thanksgiving dinner to the funeral home. They missed their Thanksgiving dinner at home and came and celebrated Thanksgiving with us at the funeral home. That's the brethren. Part. That's what brethren would do. See, we have that. Great opportunity. The so when we think of great opportunities, there's also great responsibilities as well. Just like Jeroboam had. One is that we have to make sure that we glorify God and are thankful to God. You know, that's what was wrong with those in Romans 1. He was talking about the Gentiles. Then there are three times within that text he said, God gave them up twice. He said that. God gave them over one time. It's the exact same expression. But why did he give them up? Why did he give them over? I'm going to tell you, it's because they stop glorifying God and they stop being thankful to God. That's what God expects of us. had a lady at Hickory Heights asked me one time, she said she'd read this, and I've read this since too, several times. What if God only gave us the things tomorrow of what we were thankful for today? How much would we have? So we have responsibilities to glorify and be thankful to God. To grow and become teachers. We have opportunities to grow. But we should also become teachers. He said the time when you ought to be teachers, you have someone who needs to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God and have become milk and not solid food. It's time for us to grow. It's time for us to be teachers. See, there's the responsibilities that we have. Responsibilities that have been placed upon us by God above. And those who are faithful, they're able to teach others. Maybe you can't stand in the pulpit or maybe you can't teach a Bible class of young people or older people or whatever the case might be, but you can live in such a way that others can see Christ living in you and you can have an impact for good upon them. You can teach them. There's a lot of ways to teach people. And we have to make sure that we do that. We certainly need to bear the fruit of the Spirit. Not only does He tell us to have love and joy and peace, long-suffering, all those things, but the last thing that He says in verses 22 is faithfulness. Faithfulness. We have a responsibility to be faithful. Faithful to God. And it's something that we can be. We can be faithful. God should be able to rely upon us. Brethren should be able to rely upon us. See, we have that responsibility. We also have the responsibility of setting good examples before others. In Matthew 5 verses 13 through 16, he tells us that we're the salt of the earth and lights of the world. As I said just a moment ago, people ought to be able to see Christ living in us. You know, we ought to live in such a way that we can have an impact upon other people's life and be salt so that they can be saved by the grace of Almighty God. You know, that's what he tells us to do. Great responsibilities. Great privileges? Yes. Great opportunities? Absolutely. But we have great responsibilities also. Submit to elders. He tells us to do that. And really, we should submit to one another. You realize that when I become a Christian, it's not about me anymore. No, it's about others. It's about putting God first and putting my brethren next. And it's not about me and exalting myself. It's not about me. It's about my Lord, and it's about my brothers and sisters, and it's about our friends and neighbors. It's about seeking them and seeking to do what God would have us to do with other people. And having an impact upon them. We have talents, every one of us have talents. All of us have ability. What should we do with it? We ought to use it. We ought to use it. We have a fellow who's an older member there at Hickory Heights. His mind is beginning to get bad. He doesn't think very clearly. But I remember when his mind was still good, he was the first one at the building, always first. Sometimes I'd be out visiting on Sunday evening. I'd come by the building at three thirty. We meet at five o'clock, and he'd already be there at three thirty. He was the person that opened all the doors, turned off, on, turned on all the lights. And now all of a sudden he can't do that. I'm going to tell you, I miss that. On Sunday morning, I'm using the first one there because I have to run the bulletin and do do some things there. Now, Sylvia usually gets stuck with turning on the lights. If You want to look at it that way? We open the door, and somebody else does it some of the other other nights. I miss that. regardless of the talent that somebody has, ever how great or how small, use it to the glory of God. Whatever it is that you can do. doesn't matter. Just use it. Use it and honor God. Let me suggest another thing to you. You know, we can be guilty of great evils ourselves, I think. Don't you think so? You know, we could be like Pharaoh. Who is the Lord that I should listen to him? You know, I I might have that attitude. Well, who is the Lord that I should... Sir, who is the Lord that I should obey? One day he'll show you. But you ought to read the Bible and find out in the Bible. This is our God, our Creator, and our Maker. But you see, there are people that are guilty of those kinds of things. You know, we could cause the name of God to be blasphemed, much like the Jews did in Romans 2 and verses 12. He said, you who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You know, you tell a man not to steal, do you steal? See, we could cause God's name to be blasphemed by the way that we live and lead our life. It's not just what goes on inside these four walls. But it's what we do outside these four walls that can have an impact on whether this church grows and develops or not. Because it's what other people see in you. And we certainly can cause God's name to be blasphemed. We could be guilty of idolatry. You know, in Colossians 3 and verse 5, he talks about several things, and then he says, covetousness, which is idolatry. Is that one of the great sins of our nation? Covetousness? Do you think that we're never happy and never content with the material things that God has bestowed upon us? And are we willing to use our material blessings to honor God and to serve God and to broaden the borders of His kingdom here? Or are we covetous like he was talking about here? If we are, we're just as guilty of idolatry as Jeroboam was. And so you see, we can be guilty of idolatry as well. You know, we could put ourselves before the Lord. Diotrephes did that. He loved to have the preeminence among men. We have to make sure that we put God first and not ourselves. It could be that we love the more the Lord uh, the world more than we love the Lord. Much like Demas did in second Timothy 4 and verses 10. He said, He has loved the present world and forsaken me, Paul says, You know, that could be true of us. And so we could be guilty of those things. And one of the in the lesson will be yours. You know, we need to remember that judgment is coming. It came upon the house of Jeroboam. And I'm going to tell you, it's going to come upon Jim's house. And Jim one day, just like it's going to come upon you. That's for sure. And you can rest assured of that. Because that's what the Bible says. In Matthew 25, verses 31-32, he said, When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory, and all the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats." You know, we sing a song, there's a great day coming. It is coming. But you know, in that song, he said, It's only to those that love the Lord. It's coming to every person. But it's only great though for those who love God because there's going to be a separation of the sheep from the goats. Make sure that you're among the sheep. In Second Corinthians 5 and verses 10 he said for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done whether good or bad. <clears throat> you're going to be there and I'm going to be there. And we're going to have to answer for what we've done in our bodies, and how we've used our bodies, and how we've used all the the things that God has blessed us with, and we'll have to answer to the Lord for them. There is not going to be an exception. I can't take the field. I can't make a plea bargain, because the judge that is sitting upon the throne is a righteous judge. And he knows exactly what I've done. And he even knows the motive behind what I've done. So just remember that judgment is coming. Well, I hope the lesson has been of some benefit to you this evening. We all have great opportunities. We have great responsibilities. And yet here we see the great evil that this man was guilty of. We can be have great evil in our lives as well. Realize that judgment is coming, coming for all of us. And let's make sure that we love and serve the Lord. If you're not a Christian this evening, why not become one? Why not, through faith, repent of your sins, confess your faith that Jesus is Lord, we'd be glad to baptize you in water for a mission of your sins. If you have wandered away from the fold of safety, repent and come back to the Lord as we stand together to sing this hymn. We encourage you.